I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Super Fan Chats. I'm Grace Kelly Miller and I'm joined by two glorious No Small Roles superfans. So why don't you introduce yourselves and give us a fun D&D related fact. Uh, yep, I'm Sam Oaks. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, and a little fun fact about D&D. Uh, there's only one class that I have yet to play. Uh, do you want to guess Ooh, what it is? Um, there's one in your campaign. Oh, Artificer. How did you know that? Yeah, <laughs> Because, like, how many people have played Artificer so oh, far? Oh, God, I want to play one now, having listened to Ben play it. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Superfan Sam. And Superfan 2, can you please introduce yourself? I'm Hannah. I use she, her pronouns. And my fun D&D-related fact, which is also a small brag, is that I got Grace into D&D. And I'm very happy about it. <laughs> Because without I'm that, I'm very happy. No small roles wouldn't exist, and I'm so so glad it does. <laughs> so basically, the whole of No Small Roles is down to Hannah introducing me to D and D in the first place. Well, I'm sure there would be something like No Small Roles existing in some capacity, but would it be the same? I don't know. No, no is the answer to that. <laughs> Hannah is also the same person who taught me about charging dice, so that's yes. why that happened. <laughs> So, <laughs> and I'm not sorry about that at all. <laughs> I'm not sorry it's about very it. Very important. <laughs> <laughs> so, last time at the end of No Small Recaps, I asked Sam why he was a No Small Roles super fan. Hannah, why are you a No Small Roles super fan? So, um, I've listened to a lot of D and D podcasts, like probably more hours of D and D podcasts than should be feasible. And <laughs> I've really struggled to find ones that sort of have a, a special place in my like regular listening that I really look forward to. And No Small Roles has quickly found that space. Um, I think it's a combination of the characters being so differentiated and so unique in the way they're played, um, the quirky homebrewed sort of different elements to it that you don't necessarily get in a slightly more traditional D&D campaign. Um, the fact that everyone is a fantastic actor and also I really appreciate, really appreciate the audio quality because let me tell you, not everyone has good audio on their podcasts, Maybe especially not D&D players for some reason. So... There are loads of little things that all come together, but I think also the main thing is just the feeling that the group as a whole, the dynamic is just 
such a warm group of friends really enjoying creating together. And that is just a joyful thing to hear. I love it. That's awesome. Thanks, Hannah. Well, that's just made me super happy. Is that super funny enough? (laughs) That's so super. Like my fit. Like like that's gorgeous to hear. I'm glad that the no small roles love. Like you know, comes through your ear holes when you're listening. (laughs) That sounds weird, doesn't it? I love it. Get it in the ear holes. Get it. Get it in the ear holes. So before our listeners get stuck into this episode, can you just give us an idea of what Superfan Chats is going to be? Uh, yeah, I'll give, I'll give that a go. Uh, so basically, Superfan Chats is uh, a chance for us, now that we've fully taken over and there are no people <laughs> that know the future that are going to be involved in it, we get a chance to come up with theories or uh, just general chit-chat about the show uh, from the perspective of the audience, uh, so that hopefully... Uh, when those questions come in, we can answer a little bit of those or have theorize with the fans. So if you've got any of those suggestions, please do send them in because uh, we'd love to discuss this kind of thing with you. Uh, but yeah, it's just a chance for us to to geek out and chat about these episodes, which we're loving. Yes, and it will help me stop like live texting my reaction to each episode to Grace I love your as live I listen to it. All the time, yeah. <laughs> They're mostly in all caps, me going, wait, what? And then what? <laughs> well, I think it's time I left you both to it. Dear listeners, if you want to get involved with the conversation, then you can contact us on social media at No Small Roles on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook by searching No Small Roles. Let us know your fan theories and if you agree with Hannah and Sam, and you can use the hashtag, hashtag superfanchats. Oh, and in case you hadn't already guessed, superfanchats is going to be full of spoilers for episodes 1 to 15, so make sure you're caught up before you get listening. Hannah and Sam, over to you. Oh my god, what a season. This this arc has been absolutely incredible. And I can't wait to talk with you about it. This is the, yeah. the first time I've been able to talk about my my nerd theories, everything that I've enjoyed about these episodes. Same. I'm so excited to be able to actually like really get into some really gritty detail with someone who gives as much of a crap about it as I do. <laughs> Particularly since neither of us actually know where this is going next we might be able to have theories about it but we're hearing this at the exact same time as the listeners uh so you know i can i can talk to the others about this i can talk to the cast and they give me that like that little wry smile there's the thing in the eye where it's like oh you're going to enjoy what happens in two episodes time don't don't tell me that (laughs) so smug I kind of feel like we should start this off by talking about our favourite moments, the bits that really summed this up to us, uh, summed this up for us as we were listening to it. Do you want to do the first one or shall I? Uh, yeah, I've got a good moment to start with. But yeah, if we go with our top, top few moments that really stood out as uh, highlighting sort of like the essential nature of maybe some of the No Small Roles gang. <laughs> yeah. So my first one would be the time when Enkidu tried to punch an old woman. Oh my God, yes. And failed so badly. <laughs> it was so good. It's, it's it was so funny. everyone. 
Oh, and the thing is, like, he was so serious about it that the fact that he failed so spectacularly just made it just incredible. And actually, it really kind of summed up that whole episode where they tried so desperately to infiltrate the Vondells. Right. And just failed so badly and then ran out the front gate. Yes. Um, just... I mean, it, it it was everything about that moment, wasn't it? It was the it was the music changing so dramatically to this like royal kind of uh, ceremonial music, and it's like I go up to her, I bow gently, and then I punch her in the face. <laughs> and I think just not just them, but everyone at home just went, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that really sets up also something about Enkidu, which was his like mysterious mime where he thinks his motivations are really obvious to the rest of his team and everyone is just utterly baffled which has kind of become a running yeah it's become a running (laughs) theme in this uh obviously in the the latest uh episode that we've listened to is with the ring isn't it he's just like pointing to the the ring of suggestion and guys is like i don't i don't know whether i want to know what that means Oh, the irony that it's the ring of suggestion as well. And his suggestion is so utterly atrocious. He can't yes. even like get it across. Uh, <laughs> bless him. But yeah, I think that moment also really brought home to me how... So this was something I think we spoke about before we started recording where we said we didn't... Rem- or I, I said I didn't remember uh, what level the characters were a lot of the time because the gameplay was so absorbing and the storytelling was so absorbing. Mm. But that moment really brought home to me just how level two they were because, yeah. like, I could imagine a level 10 character going in and, like, just one punch knocking out, you know, some staff, like, assassin, you know, <laughs> I am the knight, like, stranglehold, unconscious, some really, like, yeah. dishonoured type shit. Yeah, you would probably wouldn't even need to roll for it at level 10, but... Yeah, but that really was like, no, no, you are level two. <laughs> yes, and you can't even beat up an old woman. Um, I just, I loved the progression of it. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I tried to punch her in the face. Okay, that didn't work because I didn't consider the fact that I'm not, like, I haven't got the tavern brawl of feet. You know, my punch is just one damage. She's still up. Okay, I'll try and choke hold her. She's stronger than me. I'll try and grapple her to the ground. And then the whole alarm stone moment. It was just, I was oh, I was in tears. And June is there trying to fix it with a cup of tea. <laughs> Well, actually, uh, How much Twain tie does she have left, by the way? Oh, because I think she's been a bit free with that stuff. I mean, she might have got a couple, you know, more sachets or whatever. Do they use sachets in this world or is it loose tea bags or something? I, f- I feel like she she's probably the kind of uh, character that knows how to make something last a long time, though. Uh, probably <laughs> splicing it with a bit of worm, uh, you know. <laughs> God, the worms. <laughs> to stretch it a bit further. <laughs> Um, you know, she can make anything taste like Twain Tide, so um, <laughs> we'll just have to see the watered-down quality of it by the end of the campaign. Okay, so what what was one of your standout moments? Um, I think if we're if, since you you've picked that episode, uh, you know, particularly this infiltration, them spying. Uh, for me, it was the it was Oren and Juna going off and finding the table for the first time, having a play with it, and it, it was the moment so it was the whole like them instantly assuming that they're in tomorrow uh and that moment running its course and you know me the listener being like oh this is this is really really cool and um david obviously playing along but it was 
it was the way that Vicky laughed as Juno when they went down and they saw Gisana and it's like, we're not in tomorrow. And it just, it, it broke me. And um, not even broke me. It just made me feel really warm. And I think that that was probably the first time that I was, that I was properly endeared to these characters and their little yes. escapades and kind of what I feel like Orin and Juno are becoming. You know, they're the, the cheeky little misfits. That was a- yeah, that was such a bonding moment for them as well, where they had this experience where they really genuinely thought they'd time traveled. Yeah. And then when it turned out they hadn't, they were like, let's just not tell the others. <laughs> and they had this like adorable little secret of their incompetence together that I feel like started to cement them as like a miniature team within the group dynamics. Exactly. It was so lovely. And so just so funny. It, oh, they were just brilliant. <laughs> I mean, the fact that, you know, Gaius had been in that room uh you know half an hour before or you know during the uh the prep before the luncheon you know he he managed to get in that room get a bunch of information steal a wand steal a bunch of stuff and then leave without anybody knowing and then these two mess ups (laughs) they figure out the table sure but it's like the hiding the the tray of food but in the bookshelf and Oh, thinking oh my that they... god, yeah. What do they do with the food if they're in tomorrow and they're just like <laughs> moving it around and Oh god. Oh god. Genius. Uh, so funny. So yeah, that that was that was like my big jokey moment. The the I was like, okay, this is this is brilliant. I'm fully invested now. Um but if I was going with something that I thought would be like my my coolest moment or the the moment that really intrigued me most, uh was uh the tower. Crow's Tower, the underground uh, yes. tower in, in episode 12. Um, and in particular, it was the room with the mirrors. You know, yeah. the fact that one of those mirrors was scratched out and, you know, we didn't really know what was going on there. And then the really Oh, that was so spooky when it was like, the, don't the trust it. Exactly. Don't trust it. All the scratches saying, don't trust. That was really scary. <laughs> yeah, it creeped me out. And again, this this might be something to do with the music and the way that it was, you know, the 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 shudder whenever David described this creature like smashing into the mirror and the music that came along with that, that sent tingles up the back of my neck. Really, really powerful. Um, But also the fact that we still don't have answers to that. We don't really know what was happening there. They they kind of theorized about, is it just that Kral saying don't trust that? Or does he know that we're coming and therefore he doesn't want us to explore that part of the mirror? All of that is just wide open and, you know, I'm, I'm sure David knows what it is, but will we ever find out? Yeah, that that really interested me. And who were the other ones in the mirror and where where are they located? Are they in another plane? Are they elsewhere in this world? Right. Are they in a different time? Are, are they, they in the a different... same, like, people that, you know, Crown knew when he was, you know, around on this earth, when he was supposed to be around? Or are they like newer versions of that have they opened a gateway to some other plane of existence exactly you know so so many questions about that but kind of the way that it left it as a cliffhanger or an open-ended thing and you know he might be able to refer to it back to it later yeah oh you know you know he's got something up his sleeve with david yes (laughs) from what i can tell of david's incredible evil genius brain none these feel like loose threads but all of them have meaning yeah in some way they're gonna pop up again i don't think he's just gonna leave them hanging like and that was a fun you know effect 
Oh, trust me, you and I are going to be looking for like tiny little mentions in the <laughs> in the plot. It's like, oh, there's a mirror over there. I wonder if it's the same one. Uh, <laughs> What's watching them do that mirror? <laughs> Leave it to us. How about you? Yeah. Did you did you have like an an awesome moment or uh, a moment was... that just really made you like ooh? I think, so I loved, yes, the whole tower situation, uh, just the atmosphere in that tower that, you, like you were saying, just gave you chills down your spine. Um, and also, I loved the diary puzzle. I love a good puzzle. Mm. But also, I think it's one of those things when you're playing D&D, it, it feels so inscrutable. But when you're listening to D&D, you're like, this answer is so obvious. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone else felt this, but when they were trying to put together the the puzzle of the diary and they said something about binding to the table and they knew that Crowell was a lich and had yes. a phylactery. And as soon as the clue said, if I bind myself to the table, I was like, yes, that's his phylactery. Destroy the table. And then there was a good 20 minutes of them trying to put it together. <laughs> and I was like oh come on come on you can do it you can do it it was beautifully excruciating Amazing. i loved every minute <laughs> how many teacups it, did you break in that time <laughs> just squeezing it so hard <laughs> but to their credit they did it so well and i loved the moment where enkidu read out the whole puzzle in the correct order and you could see the deterioration and you could again chills down my spine yeah. beautiful it was writing. so it was wonderfully written and it was so creepy yeah um but it's, it, so it's the way that the um daryl um who plays in Kiri, the way that he read it as well um i've got you know he's he's really good at that of just uh particularly in the character of enkidu you know he's very good at the gravitas um, whereas a lot of other characters provide the you know the bathos the the kind of comedy element, he can still do that like punching mm. odd women in the face. Um, but it's the serious way that he does it. So yeah, perfect person to read that out. Um, I don't yeah. think I was quite as on it as you were, but I I definitely <laughs> got that moment before they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's still a few minutes of like, come on, you guys, you were so close, you could do it. It's gonna be amazing when you work it out. <laughs> Please work it out. <laughs> well, they did in the end. Yeah. Um, did you have? Did you have another a final, a final sort of moment that really stuck out for you? Um, I mean, well, there's there's one like moment in general um, that for me was just like shock and awe. Um, but I'm actually going to talk about the bit that led up to that moment, uh, which was when they first encountered the dragon statue. Oh yeah. Uh, or actually, no. It was the second time they encountered it, but the first time that they thought that they could get through um, the disaster episode, where yeah, they 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 went down there so confidently. Gwen had the 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 password to it, or at least she thought she did. Went down oh, there Gwen. right after they'd been kicked out as well um, of the manor. But it was just that moment of when they spoke the password and everything went to shit like within seconds david was describing this disaster you know and it really was that everything that could go wrong went wrong for the three people yeah. at the bottom of the stairs and that was the first point in this campaign that you know uh total party kill was on my mind that yeah. there were gonna be 
deaths here the the how do they escape from this situation um and again you know credit to the way that that david wrote it because obviously he had this whole thing in the back of his head of what was going to happen next but yeah for me again the music the way that they played those characters the way they made those choices within that fight you know um and the pacing of the fight as well the way they managed to pace it in the end i don't know about you but i was bawling like i was so (laughs) upset i was like no they can't die i was aghast yes i was (laughs) you know head in hands uh i mean the main one for me was how did they not tell me that this was going to happen you know how did they manage to keep this secret because i had seen ben daryl and chris just a few days earlier than that you know than that episode coming out and they mentioned nothing about it only that there were good episodes coming um so yeah for me it was like how you know they could all die here how the hell do you get out of this and then obviously when what did happen happened and you're there with two character deaths on your hands and you know because one 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 character dying is awful but the party can band around that but i think if they'd gone on with both of these characters dying both of them having to come up with new character choices would have just completely changed the dynamic of this party and the game in an interesting way i'm sure but yeah for me that was the first time that i was like okay this isn't just a like jokesy enjoyable um you know podcast with with people that you know I, I love and respect and are really good at D, but this is like this is a life or death campaign anything yeah. can happen um yeah that was that was a big switch for me yeah and actually now that you're saying that i'm really thinking about how how is that going to impact um orin in the future because he's the only one who experienced it yeah they like they all experienced it the the players all experienced it but the characters didn't only Orin holds that knowledge yeah that is that's kind of horrifying I wonder how that's gonna play out in the future I'm very curious to see how Ben manages that because his his the way he plays Orin has so much subtlety and so much depth I'm so curious to see how he builds it his cards very very close to his chest and I I love that about Orin you know he's probably the character that I'm most intrigued by because i don't know enough about him but you know you know the way he does his his incredible you know voice acting in this character is that you feel like you can hear the cogs turning in his head whenever he's making a decision so you feel like you know him but you know nothing about his backstory apart from one little glimpse that we got in episode 14 which (sighs) i want to talk about later in more detail so i'm not going to go into it now but um yeah. That, that was like the first little bit of, of Orin. Orin is, is very like still waters run deep. Like mm. he doesn't say much, but you really get the sense there's a lot going on there, which in an audio medium, like hats off to you, Ben. That's a, t- a tough thing to achieve. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> so yeah, it, it really interesting. I always, I always wonder what's, what's really going on with Orin. Uh, yeah. There's got to be, there's so much going on under the surface, so much subtext. Well, there's going to be more to find out in the next season, yeah. I think, in the next arc. Yeah. Orin's and arc. also just... Me- Orin's arc. arc. <laughs> yeah. And also just mechanically, that whole thing of the 24 hours and then the switch and then... I mean, talk about the rug being pulled out from under you. And like you say, it's become a life or death campaign, but not just a life or death campaign, like literally anything could happen. Yeah. Anything. 
hundred percent. And it, it, I, I thought it was a really interesting choice by Ben as well. Um, or well, Ben as Orin, you know, making this choice. Most of the time, particularly when I play a, you know, a, a fancy role playing game, you know, like D anD D or any of the the role playing games that I've done, if a thing happens to your character, often when you get back to the party for expediency. Um, I will say like, oh, I relay everything that's just happened to me. But Ben chose not to do that. Ben chose to keep, like he told them a little bit of information, what they would need to hear to understand that he'd been to the future and all of those things that that had happened to him there. But the actual details of it, he decided to keep to himself. And I, th- I thought it was a really bold choice because it potentially, you know, slowed down certain areas. Um you know, it it could have opened up, um, you know, conversation about you know, particularly between uh, Juno and Gaius about you know what what could have happened and um, you know like, oh everybody needs to bond together or anything now. But he chose not to do it almost as a way to like not derail the party, mm, uh, which I yeah. just thought was a really interesting choice because that means yeah. that we're with Orin on this journey now because we know more than the party does. Yeah. So interesting. So clever. Mm. I can't wait to see how it plays out. <laughs> Did you have a, a like a, yes. a, well, a clever moment? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I mean, there are loads of clever moments, but the one, the moment that stands out to me is like another really pivotal, anything could happen moment was the moment where they realized that they had led Kral straight to the witch oh god yeah and the huge crashing of the undead yes. onto the henge oh that was epic and <laughs> they d- and they didn't go back and investigate they just decided to be like okay the woods are off limits now so we guess everything is fine they haven't gone back to have a look and see what what's left there yeah is she still there did she survive uh is did, she what- undead now yeah, what's going on with that and what's going on with the henge? And again, you know that David is not going to leave that alone. No, exactly. I mean, he doesn't introduce something like, oh, this is a supremely powerful henge from, you know, I can't remember the name of the place now, but it was very interesting to a lot of people. Um, yeah, there's you know, like the it's... seat of magical power that exactly. like can unlock certain things that this like incredibly powerful lich would like to get his hands mm-hmm. on. And then it's just... Uh, and then we'll it's, just breeze past that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just could just. Oh, okay, fine. I, I'm sure it's fine. It really feels like a moment where they're like, we don't really want to look at this too closely, just in case. Right. This goes but, like horribly wrong, and we have to sort it out. But it does make me wonder if they'd gone to the witch in the woods at uh, to Rowana at any other point, would there have been you know more about the henge that we would have found out? You know, would. Would they have used it in a different way? Would the witch have been as, you know, endearing to them and welcome them in? Um, but yeah. You and know, what if they'd gone without Kral? Yes. Were you saying like the, the pivotal moment? This was the point where you really got this sense that what the characters are doing in this has an impact on the world that they're playing in. Yes, absolutely. And that their actions have repercussions yes. that are far bigger than just... Uh, we've managed to murder an entire family. <laughs> well done, guys. <laughs> they all died in a horrible accident. That yeah, sure. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, oh, that battle, though. Oh, I, I, 
Yeah, special mention to the the time fight. Right. The fight with the weird time. I mean, I I thought that that battle was arguably one of the best battles that I've heard in podcast forms anyway. Um just just because like the the uh the NPCs that they were fighting didn't have so much health that they were impossible to kill. You know, sometimes you can get bogged down by loads of enemies that it really felt mm. like there was enough of a challenge to get to that arcane study, but they yeah. were being pursued and you know things could go wrong but you know they were they were making that progress and then Mm. you know to finish it off with the d12 different future different present different body hopping seeing different people's pasts yes jumping in just like like we said about orin you know you finally saw a little bit of his backstory and what a moment to pick as well you know that oh my gosh that idea of being pursued being thrown off uh, the roof is that how he has you know why he has the leg brace you know did that come from an accident he had when he was a child so interesting god knows but yeah to, so to bring in that element uh, it just had me asking questions like okay well uh, there, there was one particular moment where it got to enkidu's turn and it was uh okay i've rolled this number now kral is standing here and gaius is dead at his feet and there was a part of me thinking right okay if he kills kral here is that it is gaius dead do we get a choice about that and then similarly on guys's turn it's like you don't remember enkidu enkidu never existed so again if they stop the time hopping here is this the new reality that they have to deal with um that yeah i'm sorry i'm changing my answer this is one of my standout moments because it completely (laughs) blew my mind it was and i think that was something um just in a more like meta sense that i really wanted to pick up on was that like i feel especially in podcast form sometimes i listen to D &D particularly fights and they can kind of have like a sort of grind to them where they're just like okay and i hit it again and then i kind of get lost in all the dice rolling and numbers but what david and the cast managed to do was have a fight that had a huge amount of narrative momentum in it that kept me listening rather than thinking because i'm not really into tactics when i play D D. i'm very much about the role play and a bit fast and loose with the rules yeah, uh, yeah. I, think, I feel yeah. like if it's cool it flies that's fine but when you when you've got a fight it can sometimes be a bit samey uh, yeah, even some of the best the, role players in the mechanics don't you um, exactly because it is a mechanic heavy thing but what david managed to do with the roller d12 and the body hopping and the changing of the the time streams and the what the characters see is he managed to to keep you focused on the characters stories and development within the structure of a fight which was i'm gonna use the word genius again yeah oh i I completely agree with you so good the uh, again the music that ran through it as well and the, oh, yeah. there were just certain moments where the music changed to be really really ominous and then it was like light and carefree and ah uh, but it, yeah it made that little involvement of the d12 and everything changing around like you say you know the suddenly you're on a different point of the room or you suddenly have no health or you you don't remember the table being destroyed it just made not just every round interesting, but every character's turn interesting. Yes. Like it made yes. it different. It made it new. And, and so. And it shifts your perspective as a listener. It actually mm. shifts your physical perspective within this imaginary room. I've got quite a visual imagination, so I'd like to picture it 
when I'm listening. And I really got the sense of, of like panning around the room at different points and moving from place to place. It was so dynamic. It was so, yeah, I mean, it was great. Yeah, I can't wait for the film. I don't know how yeah. they're going to do it, but, you know, probably All the animation, green screen you know, or, or something. Take that. <laughs> I mean, if I could play Orin, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> I'll happily play Juna. Oh, my God. Just be a Should we just cast the film right now? No, we've got stuff to talk about. <laughs> we do, we do. Um, and I guess this is quite a good segue because uh, this fight makes me feel like there's so much more. Like... You don't just jump through time and have glances of different futures and different perspectives and come into contact with an exploding lich and not have yeah. consequences. Yeah. So what are the loose ends that we are feeling like exactly. something, something's going to happen? My big concern with, you know, what was happening there with the, the time jumping. And like I said, you know, if it, if it stopped at a particular moment with what was happening in the room, is that then permanent? Um, and I think it, it ended on, you know, everything was relatively normal on um, on Gwendolyn's turn at the end there. But that's just in the room. We don't Gwendolyn, know what was the, happening out in the world the absolute, outside. Can I just say Gwendolyn the machine? Right? I mean, Gwendolyn, two hit points. the killer. <laughs> it's just like, I crush my boot into his face. Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. It's like, oh, Trimped is here. I killed Trimped. Uh, <laughs> I th- she has managed to finish off so many different things. Yes, she's the very, Albert, very kill or Kral, be killed, or kill and trimmed. be killed. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed. Total, and yet so refined. Total so badass. Refined. Um, I, I did chat to um, uh, to Grace. Yes, sorry. I, I was, th- I was like Gwen. I chatted to Gwen. She's just Gwen to me now. I'm sorry, Grace. Uh, this is this is who you are. Um, <laughs> um, but I was chatting to Grace about um, you know playing a monk, and she was saying about all these different ways and stuff that are in the the player's handbook and all the associated books that have come out since then. Uh, and the one that she chose was the Way of Decorum, which is yeah. one that's been homebrewed uh, by yeah, her and I love David. That. Um, which is great because it means the, that metagamers like me can't just go and read the manuals and be like, oh, she gets this at level six. Um, but it also means it's quite an interesting way of, of her sticking with that nobility um, angle that she's got going on. But something that I found really interesting about this last episode is that it's almost like the things that she used to value are no longer important. So it's like decorum may be changing for her, that, that idea of nobility, because she was so ready to get rid of her rose pendant. Yeah. And the boots, you know, her her fashionable boots, which you go back to episode one or episode two, the, the their pilot with her and Gaius. It was oh, very she much was so like, sad to get her boots muddy, wasn't yeah. she? she? And this, was so this upset. idea of appearance and keeping this uh this this sense of yourself when you're out and about, you know, and, and in the woods and whatnot, you know, that I just thought it's it's a really interesting character progression for her. I can't I, wait to see what happens when she bumps into Fabulosa. Right. That's gonna gotta happen. That's one of my projections about what's gonna happen <laughs> quite soon is she's gonna catch up with her fiance Dwayne. Yep. And uh I think it's gonna go very differently now than if she'd met up with him a few weeks ago. I don't know. I I do wonder whether there's gonna be a sense of like her when she sees him again that that kind of like charm that she has over uh that he has over her will kind of kick into gear. What I really am interested in seeing though is how the other characters react. Like, you know, because obviously Juna 
knows him from past experiences and has tried to kind of in her way persuade uh Gwendolyn to to move on with other things I want to see Gaius's reaction to this other bard being around you know the one that that originally had oh, Gwen- yeah. Gwendolyn's heart dueling bards but the one I'm most interested in is Enkidu I want to see how he reacts because I I mean we all love a bit of Gwenkidu right of course that that is I'm convinced it's going to happen right that is fire that is it's so love hate it's classic rom-com you can't <laughs> escape it it's so it's very Bridget Jones I feel mm. like they're the Bridget Jones and Mark Darcy of no small roles although Mark Darcy with with moments of raging stupidity I'm pretty sure he's got moments of raging stupidity yeah, he's, he's made some uh, some pretty howling decisions I mean we, we mentioned the 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 punch earlier and the inscrutable mimes right and these odd gestures yeah that he that he makes um there was one in this last episode which has completely jumped my mind but the burning of the books you know you're in you're in an arcane study and i mean fair play in that moment in that rage you've just had whatever is going on with these patrons that he has in his head and clearly this is the one that uh you know crowl mentioned it in the episode previous to that actually he said something about oh if you bring out that one you know then this fight might be over uh so i think it's you know is that what led him to such a rash act but yeah it, i kind of love that Enkidu is is right on the money a hell of a lot of the time but then just has these moments of like no i pull it all down and i burn the books and nobody else has a chance to stop him because he's the only person in the room. It's so, so well played by Daryl. Oh, he just goes rogue so fast. Yeah. It's like before you can turn around, you're like, what the hell? Yep. What has he just done? Especially uh, also the chat about it with Orin afterwards was so funny when he's like, I'm, I'm searching for magical knowledge. And Orin's like, great, stop burning it. <laughs> Don't burn books next time. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it was so great. Oh, yeah. Beautifully played. Do we have any other loose ends that we're feeling like what what might lie ahead? Or do you have any theories? Uh, okay, one ongoing theory. I've got to be honest, I don't think Crow's gone. It, it, mainly because the last thing that he said was maybe next time then, uh, mm. which makes me think, yes, okay, he's able to look into futures um, and he's lived out a whole bunch of them. Ha- yes, he may have got confused about is this the real timeline and not realizing that the time is ending but i mean he he's been around for centuries right and he's been in this tower he's been working with necromancy for god knows how long and you know the the lich dynamic was brought up but you know does he have any connection to the arcanist they didn't exactly seem surprised um when uh yeah the new introduction arcanist Tarek of the uh consortium basically showed that they actually know about Kralim and Savelt uh, and all of that and would rather that other people don't know. You know, how much is known about this guy? Is he really gone? Has he found other ways to tie him to this world? Somebody like Kral, I think, and the way that David played him, he's too interesting a villain for it to be over. And we all know how D&D villains can just keep coming back and back and back, uh, particularly the really good ones. So yeah, I have a theory that he's not well and truly Mm. gone. So I think my theory isn't too dissimilar to yours. I think my theory is less about Kral the individual, but more like Kral is linked to something much bigger. And I am reminded of the terrifying prophecy 
that was it lady vondell talking about the dead rising yes the flames floods was it flames floods dead rising and titans tearing the earth asunder yes that was it yeah i don't think killing a crowl and smashing a table will have averted that in any Mm -hmm. way i think there's something much bigger afoot and i think we're gonna see something to do with the witch and the henge again i think that's gonna crop up and i'm very interested in the like i feel like now our perspective now that we've had this sort of introductory arc is going to broaden and with the introduction of the arcanists like we're gonna see more of the structure of the world which as you said before some characters have more attachment to than others and know more about than others um and we're gonna see how all these things begin to tie together and who actually knows more than they're letting on yes exactly what are the bigger forces at play it's Mm. not just a brewery's gone missing and it's focused on this little town it's like it's like chaos theory it feels very chaos theory where like this town and this moment is the butterfly flapping its wings and then somewhere in the world a tsunami is happening (laughs) and they're just about to like encounter it somewhere there's there's something much bigger going on and i'm really excited to see what it is 100 percent. i mean it was a really clever idea of of david to to bring in the consortium and talk about the monarchy and about this kind of this parliament of folk who basically run the realm which i thought was a really good way of of reminding us that okay you know we've been in this town that none of our player characters know uh it's all fresh and new to them as it is fresh and new to the players but now we're starting to come into the wider world you know we're noting that okay uh we brought in um orkash that's it yeah you know this this place is uh particularly pricked up um uh gwen gwendolyn's uh, i want to say gwen Keely then um <laughs> particularly pricked gwendolyn's ear when she first heard that mentioned uh by rowana written in the in the woods uh but we're yeah. starting to get this idea that okay we're going to see a bit more about where these characters come from and there's going to be kind of more personalized arcs coming. Uh, we've had a hint of it with the Rose family, sure, and the folly and the work that they can do. But really, we haven't even scratched the surface of that. Yeah, absolutely. Other than these little kind of like images little that we've tidbits. seen. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, Enkidu mentioning about the king and, you know, working, being at the palace for so long and in the vision yeah. as well. You know, it was like he was at the end of the king's bed and the king was worried. You know, that that I'm really interested in exploring next. So the other thing, and it keeps popping up in my mind, and maybe I've just become fixated on a completely irrelevant detail, but something in my mind is going on with Rumath Tarabor, the ancient king who was buds with Kral and asked him to do something. That is not an irrelevant piece of history. There's a reason we know his name. There is a reason that he's come up. There's a reason that he's connected to Kral. There's something to do with time jumping. I just, like... I feel, you know, when you've got something on the tip of your tongue and you're like, I can almost, I feel like I'm working it out. Yeah. I feel like something's happening, but he, he is not irrelevant. And I think maybe. Where, where is he as well? Is he in the past? Is he in the future? Is he in the present? Does Crow have the body? Are we talking about, uh, I mean, this is me going into the, the D&D lore that I know. Uh, there is a particularly powerful ninth level spell called True Resurrect. Yes, um, true which you need yeah. ridiculous components to do uh, and you also need to be like level 18 or 20 you know right at the end game uh, but that's where you can bring back a person without needing the body i don't think crow was that level um even in lichfall no. but there's also the reincarnation spell isn't there yes there is which is another thing 
that may I don't think is as high level. I need to check like the components and the the deal with that. Uh, but off the top of my head, I'm remembering that that exists. Yep. So you know that's another possibility. Yeah, it's the it's the idea that okay, Crow can bring back people, but that he brings them back in an undead form. But does he know how to, or did he know how to do the next step? And if he doesn't know that, who does in this world? How many people does yep. the old king? have working on this this idea you know is it all the people in the mirror is the old king in one of the mirrors could be i did have that theory when i first listened to that bit i was like okay that's the dead king but then there was something in the back of my mind that was like no i you know especially when david spoke about you know the other magic users that crowl might have been working with i was like okay you know this could be like a, a focus group of people that are working for the king but there were other mirrors in that place uh, smashed ones and scratched ones that you know i would be very surprised if that doesn't lead anywhere yeah same particularly with the way that david dms and i mean if it doesn't go anywhere then it's just gonna like drive our minds crazy um, <laughs> we're just gonna be sitting here going yes but what was that one detail in that one <laughs> book that they read in that episode 20 weeks ago <laughs> obsessing over it and then eventually david hopefully will put us out of our misery well this is what we do yeah. this is what we're here for <laughs> this is what the listeners listen to us for is for yeah. us to go crazy and them to enjoy it yeah. <laughs> oh my god we didn't even talk about Gaius's dream we might have to save that for the next one. Oh yeah yeah because hopefully we're going to find out a little bit more about Gaius as we go along but he is rapidly becoming way more interesting for me uh episode by episode you know at first i was like okay i kind of know who this guy is you know he's the the fast talker you know uh says a lot without actually saying a lot he makes me think of um wesley and the princess bride a little bit with, like <laughs> the, ma- the man in black with the mask and he's yes. got that kind of like dry sense of humor and he's very silly some of the time but uh possibly with a bit like there's more backstory because oh, yeah. I th- I really feel like this campaign does operate on a sort of Princess Bride level a lot of the time, but then it goes into this really, really interesting, complicated and really like touching story. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just really excited to see where it goes. <laughs> I mean, Gaius, without actually saying it aloud, I think out of all the characters, Gaius has had the biggest kind of personal arc so far and it seems subtle because he doesn't give any of this away but if you you think back to the early bits where it was like okay i'll help out this girl because i like women uh and she's pretty and you know i get to be the brave hero to the point where now it's yeah okay he does a couple of things on his own but he is very much thinking about the party with everything that he does yeah and to the point you know where he's he's sharing little bits you know i thought he was gonna go almost full rogue bard with it and just you know keep everything to himself stealing the kleptomania creeping in at one point (laughs) it's like no it's my wand (laughs) i'm just gonna take that and the ring and but you know he's got he's got real hearts you know and um there have been moments where he's chosen to do things for the good of the party as opposed to himself i think there's a lot to come from him and i'm really interested in finding out his backstory and you know we know that he's got a little bit of a scar on his eye uh on his face underneath that mask i want to see what is what is going on there me too and he's the he's the one character that i want to draw all the time oh interesting (laughs) i really want to draw juna (laughs) i mean can we talk about the art as well just really quickly oh yeah even when i saw the line art stuff that was coming out wow so cool and the the likenesses with juna's character to you know the the way that she's depicted to like spirited away the the baba yaga figure in that yeah so so good again she's another character that i think she's 
she's not saying everything the whole flower check thing <laughs> the flower check thing is great she's the oh. meditation guru apparently right so she is always the character as well she is the first person to be like i want to pick this body dry of all of its belongings she is unfazed by death yeah she just seems to have i think she's darker than she's letting on she's got something else under the surface yeah. they all do and i think that's such a credit to the whole cast that they have invested so much into these characters and are just so creative with them that they've taken these tropes which we all know and love these big fantasy tropes and they have just really transformed them into something so special and different and i think that's just the creativity is bursting at the seams in this in this campaign oh, in this gorgeous. podcast i'm just loving it i mean i love i love a um a warlock patron as much as anybody does but to give me so Six. many patrons <laughs> yeah and they all have different personalities oh, the first time he summoned light i was just like oh, uh, so good <laughs> blown so away good. congratulations all of you for the the, the characters that you've come up with love yeah. it absolutely love yeah. it um i kind of want to mention one thing as well oh we've got one more thing we've got going forward um okay yeah or it's, it's not necessarily theories but something that i'm really really looking forward to they have mentioned that they're having a guest player for this next part of the arc. Yes. So, yeah, and I, I think I know who it is as well. I'm pretty sure I've played D and D. Okay, I've got no idea. Uh, I've got no idea. So I'm really excited. I'm not, I'm not going to say it because I don't know whether the information is is out there yet. But I'm really interested about what this means for this next arc. You know, is is it going to be led by this uh, by a guest player? Is it very much like they're going to come in and be like, okay, we need to do this and we need to go here and this is the reason why, or is it just going to be somebody that's like in the area in the thing that's happening and therefore will tag along for a while? And um, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this plays out and how it influences the party's decisions going forward. Yes. And I think one thing about guest players, at least when I've kind of had that as a DM and I've brought sort of friends in for a couple of sessions of a, an overarching campaign is they're so good to load up with bits of backstory and bits of information <laughs> yeah. that the rest of the players don't know and see how much the players can eke it out of them. Yeah. And it also gives the guest player a, like a really lovely meaty role where they really interact with everyone and feel really brought in. And I'm sure David has some real tricks oh, up I'm his sure sleeve because he's, he, I just can feel it. <laughs> I just want to know, you know, is this person going to be like connected to some of them in some way? Like, yeah. I, yeah where I'm, in the world are they going to even be from right like, are they, like are they, they could be from the, anywhere Telesham? are they part of the uh the consortium itself you know they're they're off is to it meet... gwen's dad oh god that could be really cool or her sister she has a sister that was supposedly yeah her, right oh my that god gwen's sister so good um but there's uh was it heron ilwin was the the scholar the um you know mentioned yep. to them at the end of the of episode 15 like i'll oh, meet me here in eight days it could be them or it could be somebody that they meet along the way you know would would david sacrifice one of his npcs oh my god please let it be jenny that would make <laughs> that would make my year oh make 2020 good oh, again jenny oh jenny i don't know if i could handle episodes with her as a guest none of the characters would get any a word in edgeways i mean i I love the way that they i couldn't imagine anybody but david playing her to be honest but i i wouldn't be surprised if she comes in much later in the campaign as like a level 18 cobbler sorcerer or something yeah there's so much going on with that character the way of the cobbler (laughs) (laughs) oh brood 
background to homebrewed uh I path. tagged them with a stiletto, 2d8 damage. Uh, <laughs> I am here for that. Oh, that would be great. Oh, but most of all, I mean, we talk about theories, but I just can't wait to get, get on with it now. Get on to the next bit. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, re-listening to all the old episodes while I wait for the new ones for sure, because it's just so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I do want to go back to almost, well, I want to go back to episode one and listen through it again and see what I missed, you know, see what was uh, preluded to way earlier in the campaign. Yeah. While we wait for these next bits, because unfortunately for the next two weeks, I get to hear my own voice. Uh, which oh, is a yeah. shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, nerd out again soon. Oh, definitely. I've our, really enjoyed about this. Our series. This has been really great. I mean, I could talk about this for hours, but I think for yep. everyone's sake, we should probably uh, wrap this At up. At least switch the microphone off before we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. It's been super great. Oh, it's been brilliant. All of this with you. And yeah, let's, let's see where this all goes. Yeah, I hope everyone at home is enjoying it as much as we are. Uh, but if not, they've definitely got two super fans. Uh, but I'm sure we're not the only ones. Uh, so yeah, from. Yeah, join our super fan clan. Yeah, so super fan Sam and. Super fan Han. No. <laughs> okay, we'll work on that one. Uh... <laughs> Do we get to do the cheesy ending? What? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, on three. Yeah, One, okay. two, three. And no. And none for now. And no. And no. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.